Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to episode 225 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today we're going to talk about self-compassion with Dr. Chris Germer, which I'm very excited about. But before I tell you more about our episode, I wanted to invite you to download our free checklist of 20 steps that you can take today to improve your sexual desire. This is one of the goals that many people have, that they want to want to have sex. So these are the evidence approach steps that you can take today to improve your libido. As I mentioned today, we're going to talk about self-compassion. This is a topic that most of us these days are hearing about it in the field of psychology. And I haven't seen that that much interviews, literature around self-compassion and sexuality. That's why I invited one of my favorite psychologists and researcher, Dr. Chris Germer, to join us in this interview today to tell us more about some of the ways that we can improve our sex life through practicing self-compassion. As I mentioned, Dr. Chris Germer is our guest today. He's a clinical psychologist and lecturer on psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He co-developed the Mindful Self-Compassion Program with Kristen Neff in 2010, and MSC has since been taught to over 150,000 people worldwide. They co-authored two books on MSC, The Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook, and Teaching the Mindful Self-Compassion Program. You can check out his full bio in the show notes. Without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Chris Germer. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. It's my honor to welcome Dr. Chris Germer on our show. Chris, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nazanin. It's so lovely to have you on during this episode. I was just sharing with you that I meditated with your audios many times. The way that I learned about your audios was when I was in postdoctoral residency several years ago, that my mentor was using your audio as a way that as part of our group. So I know that I bet that your content, the self-compassion meditations that you recorded helped many people. Well, thank you. I'm very glad to hear that. Well, tell us for, for those of our uh, those of our, our listeners that they're not familiar with self-compassion. Tell us what is self-compassion? Mm. Yeah. So uh, self-compassion is a, is a resource. It's a personal resource. It's a strength. It's a, it's a, a way of treating ourselves when uh, things go wrong in our lives. So an informal definition of self-compassion is to uh, give ourselves the same kindness and understanding when, when we suffer, when we fail, when we feel inadequate, as we would give to a dear friend which isn't necessarily what happens. You know, often when things go wrong in our lives, we criticize ourselves, we isolate ourselves in shame, or we become self-absorbed, you know, 
start to ruminate, but self-compassion is the opposite. So Kristen Neff, who operationally defined self-compassion back in 2003, said that it has three main components. The first one is self-kindness, self-kindness, as opposed to self-criticism. The second component is a sense of common humanity, sense of I'm not alone or just like me versus a sense of isolation. And the third component is mindfulness or a kind of a spacious, loving awareness of moment-to-moment experience rather than getting lost in the narrative and lost in the stories of our lives. You know, most people in the world are much more compassionate toward others than toward themselves. So it's a bit of an uphill climb, but anyone can do it. Well, I love that you're saying anyone can do it. Before I started my career in this field, I was thinking there are some some people that are more forgiving and that's part of the temperament or upbringing. And there are people that are more rigid and more critical of themselves. I thought it's more of an innate quality versus mm-hmm. something that you can learn. But mm-hmm. throughout my my journey of getting therapy and how working cli- with clients, I realized that, that that's a skill that people can cultivate. Tell us more about that. Yeah. Well, when when self-compassion does not come naturally, it's usually because of messages that we have received in the course of our lives. And um, let's face it, if we're going to be living in this world, we receive a lot of messages that are a little hard to hear and we do take them in. And so in the same way that we have learned not to be compassionate toward ourselves, We can also learn to be compassionate toward ourselves. Um, And there are many ways to do that. The most basic question that kind of covers everything is, is by asking ourselves the question, what do I need? What do I need? And, you know, usually if somebody asks us that question in a thoughtful way, like, what do you need? You can really feel that the person wants us to feel better and has goodwill. But actually, other people don't ask us that question, what do I need all that much? And we definitely do not ask ourselves that question. We're just on automatic pilot, you know. And so when we ask ourselves the question, what do I need? We often don't even know how to answer it. So what's helpful then is to break down the question a little bit. And self-compassion has uh, what we would call a tender aspect and a fierce aspect. It has kind of a yin side and a yang side. And Kristen Neff is actually going to release a book about this in the next few months. But on the tender side, it really means what do I need to physically soothe myself? So maybe we need to take a warm bath or drink a cup of tea. What do I need to emotionally comfort myself? Maybe we need to call a friend or listen to music. What do I need to validate myself? Maybe we need to write in a journal or, or um, uh, you know, talk to a friend. So that's on the tender side. But then there's also the fierce side or the young side, the action side. And that is, what do I need to perhaps protect myself? If we've just experienced an injury, if we've been insulted by somebody, We need to protect ourselves. That's self-compassionate. We need to be able to say no. Or what do I need to provide for myself? In other words, what do I, how can I give myself what I need right now? I mean, it could be physically, it could be emotionally, it could be relationally. And also maybe what do I need to motivate myself? You know, maybe there's something we have to do that's just really hard. Some people think with self-compassion, we just take the easy way out. 
but maybe we need to do something that's really tough. How do we go about doing that? Do we do it with the whip, like, what's the matter with you, get going? Or do we do it with kindness and encouragement, like, you can do this. I believe in you. I trust you. You've got this. One step at a time. We can do this. So what self-compassion is ultimately about is, a, is an attitude or a tone. And when things go wrong in our lives, we usually get into a kind of a fight-flight-freeze situation. But the opposite is really activating a sense of caring and kindness. And, and so those are some of the ways that we can begin to practice self-compassion by asking ourselves, what do I need? What a powerful question. And one thing as a sex therapist that at times I see with my clients that they're struggling with, that they feel that they don't deserve self-compassion. So they did something that is not congruent with their values, and it's really hard for them to tap into the self-compassion. So they get hooked into this shame spiral, which mm -hmm. is not useful. But I'm hearing that with, with this in invitation to uh, cultivating self-compassion, it actually helped people to be more accountable. Yeah. If nothing else, uh, self-compassion is an antidote to shame. And, and the research is really clear that self-compassion helps people to bounce back from difficulties. So for example, regarding sex, people have difficulties around lack of desire, or initial physiological arousal or maintenance of arousal, or sometimes they have pain or they have struggles around orgasm. And all of those difficulties are so likely to activate shame. Shame is a tricky emotion. Shame means what's the matter with me? You know, it's not even like what's going on in my mind or what's the matter with my body. What's the matter with me? So, and, and, and so much of shame is related to the body, you know, body shame for most of us, actually. So what self-compassion does is it, it actually, it starts to dissolve shame at the root. In other words, when something doesn't work out as we think, as we are hoping or as our partner may hope, how do we respond to that? Do we respond to it with shame? Or initially, if we do feel shame, can we be able to say something like, oh, I'm feeling shame about this and start to then actually bring some kindness to ourselves, even following those three components. The first is mindfulness, which is the awareness like, oh, this is painful or this is upsetting or that this is shame or this is fear or, you know, uh, this is catastrophizing. So the first thing is to just actually to know what's going on inside our hearts and minds at the moment. The second is, which is really important, particularly when it comes to sexuality, is to is common humanity, which is, you know what, I'm actually not the only person in the world who's ever struggled in this way or or had this experience. I am not alone. That actually many people who are in a similar situation as I or would feel or respond in exactly the same way to actually break out of that horrible isolation of shame and to see that whatever we're going through is part of the human experience. This is so liberating. And then the third part is kindness. So if you had a friend who just experienced some difficulty in, the, in terms of sexual experience, what would you say to a dear friend? You know, what would you say heart to heart? You know, say if a friend said, you know, 
I have a new partner and, you know, I, I just, you know, I was just so nervous. I didn't get aroused and I'm just overwhelmed with shame about this. Imagine you have a friend who said that. What would you say to a friend? What what would your tone be? What words would you share? You know, probably, probably you would say, oh, honey, you know, you're not alone. I've, I've been through this before. This has happened. This happens to all of us. Or you might say, well, you know, you were nervous. What do you expect? In other words, what the, the quality of kindness that we would talk with somebody else who was going through exactly the same thing that we're going through. Can we can we speak to ourselves in the same way with that same attitude around the same issue? This can be learned. And it is so helpful for bouncing back from difficulties. But Nazanin, that's not it. I mean, the research is really clear that people who are self-compassionate actually experience more sexual satisfaction because self-compassion enhances a connection with oneself, enhances connection with others. It increases a sense of humor, creativity. And it most especially, it allows us to be safe in vulnerability. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be perfect. We can just be humans, warts and all. You know, we take off our clothes. This is how I look. I have a human body. Our bodies react in certain ways because we have a human body. You know, that quality of um, of kind of radical acceptance with kindness to if we can bring that into the sexual domain. We can just be more fully ourselves, more flexible, frankly, funnier about it. You know? we, can just, we can just like enjoy what works and what doesn't work. That's self-compassion, you know. So self-compassion not only just helps us bounce back from difficulties, but it actually increases satisfaction when it comes to those vulnerable times when we are really sometimes more fully ourselves, naked, physically, emotionally. Self-compassion is there to say to us, yes, yes, yes even when things don't go the way we expect. <laughs> well, I love that. And, you know, I think the element of kind of paying attention to what you would say to a friend is simple, but very powerful. The other day I was talking to one of my clients and sh she's really struggling with cultivating self-compassion for herself because of her history and traumas that she had. And uh, we're talking about the current situation that the partner went outside the relationship, not using protection, all of those things. But I, I love what you said. She said, you know, he's not a bad person. He did a bad thing, which is a definition yes. of self-compassion. I was like, okay, if that's, you're able to recognize that for him, how how is it that you would apply that to yourself? So I think sometimes it's easier to see that for someone yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a beautiful, what you, what you, right. Because if you can say that to yourself, that is, that is fundamentally de-shaming, de-shaming, you know, if we can actually apply the same generosity to ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the element of mindfulness incorporating that in our sexual experiences is very, very powerful. Because what takes us away from our sexual experiences in the moment is like getting hooked on this chatter of um, mm. what if I lose an erection? What if I'm not able to quote unquote perform? What would mm. that mean about me? And that that's really mm. hinders people tapping into the pleasure. And they mm. kind of like get obsessed on those thoughts that yeah. gets in the way of them enjoying what's what's present in that moment. And the difficulty, the difficulty with like, like let's let's take um, somebody obsessing about not getting an erection. 
then they could say, okay, I'm obsessing about not getting erection. And that too is going to keep me from getting an erection because now I'm obsessing about obsessing and it becomes kind of a vicious cycle. So then the question is, how can a person break out of that cycle? In other words, okay, it's my thinking that's causing the trouble. So now I need to think differently, but none of this has anything to do with actually being in bed with somebody and touching them, you know, and it's like, it's like lost in my thoughts, lost in my head, lost in rumination. So how can we, as it were, get out of our heads, get out of those thoughts and actually break the cycle? And the answer is through kindness, through self-kindness. You know, we can't clever ourselves out of a ruminative cycle. You know, if somebody's obsessing about how their body's working, they they're first of all not experiencing their body, but they also don't know how to actually stop it. So the way to stop it is this is really quite amazing, amazingly deep. And that is by just being kind to ourselves because I'm obsessing, because my body is not working, because I'm an imperfect human being, not as a strategy in order to fix stuff. So we have a we have what we call a central paradox in uh, self-compassion practice. And that is we practice self-compassion not to feel better or to fix ourselves, but simply because we feel bad from time to time and things do not work. So the idea is that self-compassion is not kind of a fancy solution to tricky problems. Self-compassion is what we do when there's nothing left to do. It is kindness for its own sake. It is warmth because we're suffering. And we all know what this is like. For example, if you have a child who has the flu, you and your child, it's a five day flu, your child's lying in bed and, and suffering. You know, it's, it's like the first day, it's gonna last for four more days. You don't think, oh, I have a clever idea. I'm gonna be really nice to the kid because then my kid is only gonna have the flu for one day. No, no, you're, you're, you're down for the long haul. And you're just super kind to your child because your child is struggling. We all have the flu. <laughs> it's called human suffering. It's called human imperfection. We will never get out of it. So can we, in fact, be kind to ourselves for its own sake? Can we be, we can be kind to ourselves because things aren't working out? Can we be kind to ourselves because we're struggling? Can we just let the heart melt as it would with an innocent child? That's self-compassion. And we can do this. It won't happen overnight. But when we have the commitment to be kind to ourselves when things go wrong, rather than the usual self-abuse and rumination and isolation and all this, when we commit to it over time, it definitely works and it works for everybody. Well, I, I really enjoyed when you brought up the point of not using it as strategy, because I've certainly been guilty of that. <laughs> kind of thinking I only if I can pay attention to the thoughts, validate them, that's a strategy that yeah. they will not show up tomorrow. And yeah. that's that's not how it works. Right. And, you know, like in sex therapy, we say, you know, what does it take to get out of your head and into your body? But if we think if we're if we have a mental strategy that, OK, what I need to do is to get out of my head and into my body, we're never going to do it. We're going to be thinking about whether or not we're out of our head and in our body. <laughs> what 
what we need to do, the way to get into one's body is through kindness. Like, honey, this is hard. I love you. Putting a hand over your heart, putting a hand on your cheek, talking to yourself in a kind way. Lo and behold, you find you're more embodied. You know, this is the, this is a really amazing thing about kindness is it, it, it really gives us, it makes it safe to be in our bodies. You know, oftentimes we jump up into our head as a, you know, out of fear and an effort to solve something that can't be solved, you know, and then we get stuck. So to get back, what does it take to get back into the body? Kindness. But I love that you also highlighted the embodiment piece. So because with our sexual pleasure, the big piece of it is like paying attention to your body and notice the pleasure. Like sometimes people are coming in with this kind of expectation of what successful uh, sexual interaction is supposed to look like. And then when things doesn't go the way that they want, that that self-critical voice gets really activated and shame shows up and they get out of the bodies. But if we're thinking about, okay, I show up for my body and see what's what's present with the element of mindfulness and also bringing kindness to that. Okay, maybe this is not working right now. That's okay. That can be very powerful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't recall the, name that there was a there's a wonderful poet who had a line that said um and i said to my body i want to be your friend and my body took a long pause and said i've been waiting my whole life to hear that i said to my body i want to be your friend and my body replied i've been waiting my whole life to hear that so we often have an antagonistic relationship with our bodies you know our bodies want to be our friends our friend, our body wants to serve us in the way that we have in mind, but it can't always do that. So does that mean that we then beat up on ourselves or beat up on our body? No. What it means is we turn toward the body with kindness, with a wish to befriend the body, to listen to the body. What does the body need? What is the body hoping for? Can we give that to the body? That's how we get back into our bodies through friendship, you know, but friendship is a commitment. We have to commit to being a friend to our bodies. And when our bodies don't do what we think they should be doing sexually, you know, it's not like our body's refusing. It can't. It's doing the best it can. So how can we help the body to help us? We need to turn toward the body with a great deal of curiosity and kindness. We need to allow the body to tell us what it needs and uh, respond in kind. You know, it's usually the other way around, right? We, we're, we, we think our body's like a dog with, and you have a choke collar and you're yanking it around all the time. It doesn't work like that. It will I never cooperate. That. It will never learn. Well, and I think part of the challenge comes from this kind of a popularized solutions, like three three steps to get the best orgasm of your life, two yeah. steps to get an erection of like the hardest erection you got. And that's not how it works. It's just a matter of showing up for your body and noticing what's happening. Being human is, is how it works, you know, and being human is also how it sometimes doesn't work. And that is not a crime. That's just human. Right. And when when we're going around being human and we think we're supposed to be superhuman, is that an opportunity to beat up on ourselves and turn ourselves inside out? I don't think so. You know, the beautiful thing about self-compassion is it really allows our, us to be more fully ourselves. And that that's a real thing. It's not a concept thing. It means like sometimes you don't want sex. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you want it like this and sometimes you want it like that. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. 
we're human, you know, and, you know, let's face it, you know, uh, sex is more of an expression of a relationship. And so it's never singular. You know, there's like another person in the room. Oh, my goodness, that becomes super complicated. But the only way to keep it simple is just to just to live in our bodies with kindness, you know, or to get into our bodies through kindness. And I love that you talked about the action piece as well, because sometimes when I talk about it with my clients, they feel it's a resignation saying that, okay, the erection can show up, it will not show up. And it means that you're addressing what your body needs. And I think that could be part of the work as well. To let go of the expectations is what you're saying? Yes, it could be let, let go of expectation. The other piece is there could be like physiological issues. There could be a number of different things that's happening. I think kindness is very important. And when we get hooked on the shame kind of story, right. we get we shrink and we get small and we're not going to look for solutions. We're just hooked on to the story. But if we bring kindness to it and we see, okay, this is not right now the place I want to, then perhaps there will be space for you to explore solutions if necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So shame is a very self-absorbed state and solutions, you know, if we become just kind of wrapped in a little bubble, there are no solutions in that little bubble. There are just none. We actually have to, the shame has to subside before we can bring some curiosity to what is happening in and around us. You know, shame actually significantly decreases the possibility of any kind of solution, you know. So, but unfortunately, people find it really hard to escape the the trap of shame when things don't go as they expect uh, sexually. So... Yeah, the only the only way out of that, in other words, to diminish the chance of shame and also to have the energy and encouragement to look at things in an in a clear and objective way is is with kindness and compassion. You know, we we can't figure it out. You know, in other words, we can, of course, figure things out. But most emotional problems we need to address at the root. And and the way the first the first step to addressing them is in our attitude, which is the quality of warmth and kindness. We we must go there. And for many people, they say, well, that's a foreign thing for me. I've never done that. I've never been treated like that. I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. And that's actually not true. We can, we can, first of all, we need to be patient, you know, walk slowly, go further, but our bodies and minds really appreciate it. And every moment that we're kind to ourselves is the foundation for the next moment and the next moment and the next moment. Eventually you string together a whole lot of moments and eventually say, darn, I'm a self-compassionate person. (laughs) And that can change things. I know inside and outside the bedroom, I think for me, coming from a self-critical kind of like upbringing, it's certainly been a journey, but I think that you're right. That it's kind of like taking the, doing the next kind of right thing that helps you to cultivate kind of compassion, like cultivating, kind of doing, the, kind of choosing the next right thought, I guess, like our emotion that could be part of it. I know you have tons of wonderful audios. I know you authored many books. So if our listeners want to learn more about your approach, your books, your the resources, 
where where can they find you? Yeah, so I've, I'm a part of an organization called the Center for MSC, Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, centerformsc.org. And uh, they have a ton of uh, trainings for self-compassion if somebody wants to become deliberate about learning self-compassion. And I also have my own website, uh, which is linked to that one, and that's uh, chrisgermer.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise with us. And I hope that it helped many of our listeners. Thank you, Nazanin. It was a pleasure. Thank you for the good work you're doing. I really appreciate it as well. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I know for many people that they haven't grown up in the homes that they supported the parents and support them cultivating the self-compassionate voice. Sometimes it feels like an impossible task. Some of my clients at times, they tell me that they have compassion toward everyone and everything except themselves. My invitation for you is to take the steps that Dr. Germer recommended and even take read one of their books about this topic. Every morning I do their meditation. I know he has a website that he has audio in it, and it's been very powerful around changing my internal conversation. And even when it comes to our sexuality, having self-compassion can help us to feel less of negative thought. It can help us to cope when there are issues around sexuality, because when we are harsh towards ourselves, we tend to catastrophize, we tend to ruminate or avoid addressing the issue. But when we approach the problems with self-compassion, it can help us to focus on what's happening in the moment and focus on resolving the issue if it's necessary. At the end, I wanted to encourage you all to make sure you guys are subscribing to the show. We have lots of interesting interviews lined up. I think this month I'm doing back-to-back really interesting interviews. So if you want to make sure that you get the episodes when they get dropped, make sure you're subscribing wherever you're listening to this show. All right, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.